Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. We have a pretty cool interview for you guys today. We are very excited to bring on an ELA Instagram friend of ours, Tanisha, and Amanda is going to tell you a little bit about her. Guys, we collaborated with Tanisha Foreman over the summer and just had this amazing, rocking conversation with her. Uh, Tanisha is a middle school teacher. So for those of you out there who have been listening to us babble on about high school for a long time, this is a voice for you. (laughs) Finally, we're bringing in a middle school teacher to talk to you guys. Um, And Tanisha's been teaching middle school for a hot minute, um, but this summer she actually has taken over an admin position. So we'll definitely have to catch up with her again uh, during the school year and see how that's going. Um, Tanisha is a blogger and a writer. She's got an incredible blog that we'll link for you guys in the show notes. She is an activist. She is passionate about so many things. Namely among those things is her work with poetry, which is kind of how she and I connected early on um, in some of our conversations in the writing world. So we talked a little bit about um, social justice and poetry and what an awesome pairing they make in the ELA classroom uh, and really any classroom. I mean, even like social studies and history, you could think about that as well. So we've got some cool things to share with you guys today about um, not only poetry and activism and social justice, but we talked, we talked for a while with her, didn't we, Marie? We talked for a while and this is one that could have been a two-part episode, but we figure it's kind of like a DIY two-part. If you need to split it up and listen to it in a couple parts, because we, you know, it was one of those conversations where you just get going and then it snowballs and you go and go and go and go and go. You guys know Amanda and I have 
experience with the big, big kids. Neither of us has a whole lot of middle school experience. So I loved hearing Tanisha's take and how she, like, she is truly a wonderful patient soul because she is like in her own words made to teach the middle grades. <laughs> if you guys want to connect with Tanisha, you guys can find her on Instagram at love.tanisha. And of course, we'll be sure to, to link everything we talk about and all of her platforms in our show notes. Let's jump in. listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. We are here today, guys, talking to Tanisha all about her teaching experience. And specifically, we're going to get into some stuff about poetry, which, of course, you guys know is my like heart and soul. And I think I've found a sister in that because, you know, the more of us, the more of us, the better. So Tanisha, let's go ahead and kick things off um, as much as you're comfortable with. Um, tell us about yourself, you know, your childhood, your high school, you know, did you grow up wanting to be a teacher your whole life? I mean, what is your teaching journey and how did you get where you are today? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I grew up in the sunny city of Miami, Florida, and I have a ton of brothers and sisters. So I have six brothers and five sisters. And so there's only two brothers who are older than me, and they're like my children. And <laughs> true. Um, I don't know. I was the first person in my, in my family to go to college, like nobody else did. And so it was you know, Tanisha's going to college. And so hopefully she'll become something fancy, like a doctor or a lawyer or something that we can't pronounce and say, and then she'll take care of all of us. And I, I don't know, I always had a love of kids, maybe because I came from a big family or just that's just where my heart is. So I became a teacher. So I always knew I wanted to be a teacher from like, you know, when I first got to college, actually, I thought I wanted to do something with public relations. It just sounded really great. And I went to Florida State University, and we're really close to the historically black college, um, FAMU. Um, That's Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. And I remember going with one of my friends who was going to FAMU to like her advisor meeting. I had no idea why I was there. And her advisor was like, oh, you go to, you know, Florida State, great. What do you want to do? And I was like, I am going to major in public relations. And I just remember him saying, why would you major in a minor? Like everything that you do is basically public relations. There's not a field that you'll go in that won't be, you know, public relations. And I was like, I don't know. It just sounded good. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're a kid. I mean, because we send kids to college and we ask kids to make big life decisions, right? Like, yeah. You're like, that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I changed my major to education and I rolled with it. And here I am at the end of my 14th year. Wow. I love that your parents, that like your family thought you were going to be something fancy and you were like, fooled you going into education. (laughs) (laughs) jokes on everybody (laughs) it's like well no we're gonna have to take care of ourselves 
Yeah, right. Well, and isn't it like, I feel like there's so many of us, myself included, who have that like teaching was a calling and you kind of like stumbled upon it and then you were like, well, duh, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I love yeah. that. Um, well, speaking of teaching, would you take a moment to tell us about your teaching philosophy? Like what are the pillars or like the foundations that are, what makes you the teacher that you are? Um, you know, I, I, sh- I think I should have unpacked this probably a little bit more <laughs> in the last couple of years. I, I think it's just something about authenticity, being true to who you are. Um, I consider myself, I'm like on my anti-bias, anti-racist journey as an educator. And I like to bring that into my classroom. So being real to who kids are, who I am, like the humanity there. So this isn't necessarily making a philosophy, but it's just the philosophy of like us and who we are in telling and teaching the truth and trying to explore different perspectives in, you know, my classroom and learn with and from my students and their families. And so I don't know what that would be. I I know when I graduated from college, I had a beautiful education philosophy, but right now it's, it's a (laughs) work in progress. I think we laughed because didn't we all, right? Like, and then you met real kids. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, this sounded really good on paper, but now <laughs> I got to really figure out what this means for me. Totally. You know what I just realized too, before we keep going, we haven't asked you what you teach and like what grade levels you've been teaching and what your experience is in the classroom. Uh, yeah, that's, so I teach and it's really important. I teach middle school. So last year I taught sixth grade. Um, probably teach sixth grade again this year but I might be moving up to like becoming an instructional coach but that's mm-hmm. working on that might find out today that I will be um but yeah so I've always all of my experience has always been grades I would say five through eight I had one year where I taught fourth grade and that was a year when I was like I am done this is not gonna work. <laughs> I, I was like me and myself and doing my thing and I was like why are you crying this is weird <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> see and that's i think both amanda and i would be that way if we were put into like a seventh grade classroom oh, yes. i love seventh grade i feel like seventh graders just tell you like it is you know like i, I like that di- directness and the moodiness it just <laughs> it, it, it it does something for me but like i could not take the the young young ones and so any of the time somebody tells me they teach grades k through four i'm like man blessings to you because this, that's not my calling and it's funny how we just know like we just know yeah yeah (laughs) oh totally this is where i belong and this is where i do not belong i I mean i've had some dicey ninth grade years where i'm like oh it's a little too close to eighth grade but uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's getting a little little rough around the edges here yeah Okay, so I want to I want to jump into some poetry stuff, Tanisha. So, talk to us about poetry in general. Have you always loved teaching it? You know, like you know, I come from like in college is when I when I discovered slam poetry, and I used to go to readings, and I thought I was all like like with it, and then I look back and I'm like mortified. But you know, poetry <laughs> kind of like started for me in college, and then like spilled into my teaching. I mean, what was your poetry teaching journey? What did that look like? I always thought like poetry always seemed a little bit scary to me. And so it was always this thing that 
I, I don't know. I, I doubted myself and my ability to interpret poetry. And then I just kind of remember I had a 10th grade or 11th grade teacher. Her name was Miss Scott. And she was just kind of like that teacher who was like, um, it is what it is. Like, it's open to interpretation. There's a freeness there. And I guess that's kind of when I started to accept it a little bit more for not. And I think that prior to that, and even into some of my earlier years in teaching, I felt like I had to interpret and know everything about a poem and be like inside of the author's mind in order to share it with my students. And I, and I think that has evolved because right now I realize that poetry is something that you experience with the people you're sharing it with. And so I can teach something or review something with one class and we could go in a completely different direction in another class. And I think that that's what makes it beautiful is how we bring ourselves and our experiences to how we interpret poetry. And so it's quite freeing, freeing to teach because it's just kind of like, all right, well, what do you guys want to talk about? That's so cool. I think that's what's intimidating to a lot of people too, but it takes that certain, like once you kind of get the perspective that you're talking about, you can just be like, but it's so cool. Like it's so beautiful and so fun. Yeah. I think I was, I was, you guys couldn't see me, but I bet a lot of you are in your cars or on your walk and your head's just going (laughs) up and down. Like, yes. Like a bobble. Like just those things. Dashboard bobblehead going and going. (laughs) When you finally, like you said, Tanisha, like when you finally let go of the correct interpretation mindset and you embrace the beauty of multiple interpretations and just like the opportunity of conversations that come out of poetry, all of a sudden it is this like, wow, it's so awesome to do two different things with two different classes and hear such variety. I love that. I think that's the beautiful perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like for kids too, it makes it a little less scary. And so this year when I I was talking about poetry, one of the big outcomes was that kids would not view this as something that's scary. Because unfortunately, a lot of kids come into middle school thinking, and feeling like poetry is something that I have to have this language to be able to talk about, that it is like some type of a hunt and finds, like I need to find all of the figurative language and I need to interpret it. And it's like, no, we just need to discuss it and think about what are we receiving in our hearts and our minds. And and sometimes we just put that in the backdrop of like our own experiences and that's okay. But this isn't like in line 12, it said da 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 da. This means because I think that takes a little bit of joy out of anything that we're reading, but I think especially with poetry. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. It just like the prescriptive nature of that style of presenting any sort of literature or art or, but especially poetry, it just makes it like, well, okay, <laughs> yeah. I guess I'll just remember what you said it means. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> um, well, so actually on the same vein, would you walk us through like, what's your favorite poem or type of poetry to share with students? How do you present that? in a lesson, in an assignment, in an exploration, what does that look like? It's like, okay, so what is my favorite type of poetry? I think I really am like a free verse type person. Like I like the the beauty and the freeness of being able to just like emote. (laughs) I like when poets do that. Um, I am really obsessed with like Langston Hughes. I've always been, you know, it's a, just a classic just just speaks to my heart and it's just like so many times when you're able to present something to students and then they they feel like 
oh my gosh, is that person still alive? And you're like, no, baby, they're not. But, <laughs> but their work, you know, it feels like you have this, like you resonate with it. And so I guess one of my favorite LinkedIn Humes poem would be like, I too. And this was like, we were getting right into this right before all of this happens. And so we put a pause and then we can come back to it. And it's just like, oh my goodness. And, I, and it's something that I feel like I could share with a student right now. And they would be like, wow, like, was this written for this moment? And it's a beautiful thing. It is beautiful when you can see something that like, you know, is he still alive? No, honey, not, not for a minute. But like, then how did he know, right? Like, how did he know that the year 2020 was going to happen? And it's like, well, because it's the human experience that keeps resonating over and over again. Yeah. And so like to present that poem. And so like, I, I feel like my style in the classroom is like, okay, let's just read this poem. And, you know, we read it out loud and it's just like, what is this making you think? How are you feeling? Like even before I get to like, the, that's what is the deeper meaning and what is whatever happening? Like, what does this make you feel and think? And so I like a lot of just open into kids are just sharing all the different ways that they are connecting with poems. And so I would have to say that I remember this is, I'm going to go off script a little bit, but I remember at some PD I was in one time, they were talking about like reading strategies and they were de-emphasizing the importance of making connections between like yourself. And I was just like, what? Oh, I know. And, and I was sitting there, I was like, this is why you, you need to be an expert in your content because so, like, that's how we live. We live through connections. So yeah, I hope that person's <laughs> listening because they got it wrong. Um, <laughs> well, and I hope that anybody who, yeah, trusted that advice from whoever they've heard it from it's we yeah I think therefore I am come on guys <laughs> I know let's get with it but so like I, I have kids make their connections to the poem when they, and then we get into like after the they're like this is what I I take away from this poem we talk a little bit about like what do you think is the message in this poem and why and Anytime we're talking about message, you know, I try to teach sometimes and get to like, how did you get there? Like, what are the words, you know? So like, it's this organic conversation about something that can be interpreted in a number of different ways. And it creates very dynamic conversations with kids around what they think the poem is about. And if it lends itself, and then this poem does, I can actually make a, a connection to like, thinking about in what way does this poem reflect on the experiences of people today? And so how, I know, and I'm sorry. go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you, how long does it take from like the beginning of the school year? You have a brand new class of kids. Mm -hmm. How long or how much work do you do building community and building rapport with your students before you can get to the point of like a real good authentic conversation? Have you, or like in your experience, what kind of a process does that look like in your classroom? One, I think it's like co-creating a culture. Like, mm -hmm. what are our norms? How do we engage with one another? And then living out those. You know, because like by middle school, kids are, you know, they hear we're going to co-create norms. And they're like, all right, I already know. Let's respect everybody. Let's, you know, yeah. like, I think the actual art of listening and living out those norms, it just takes time. And it actually, like, from a teacher perspective, it takes, like, a ton of humility and patience to like be able to say, oh my goodness, you know, in this moment, Marie, I could tell that you are definitely leaning into our community norm of whatever it was. And like having that clarity of mind. And so it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing process. 
that I believe that as teachers, we have to just be super aware of like how to narrate all of those moments in which the community is kind of living out its norms. And then also being like comfortable enough to be like, man, that was a breach in our norms. Let's talk about what happened and why. Mm -hmm. And like those poetry conversations, for example, then sound like they're part of building that culture. Like they are inherent to it. They're not something separate from. Yeah. That's, and yeah. so like if you, yeah, that's exactly it. It's like if you are, but you know, there has to be a certain amount of trust, right? Mm-hmm. Because I just feel like kids will go into like middle school students. It could be the end of the year. Like even at the end of the year, I have to like force kids, like loosely force them. I'm not hurting anybody's children to share what they're feeling. <laughs> Because, like, it's the awareness of, like, where the middle schooler is. The middle schooler is always in a state of, like, who's watching me? Like, even if nobody's watching, I think social media makes it even worse. So it's, like, leaning into, like, you guys, we're all on Zoom. We're, we're all loosely watching. Like, let's take a risk right here. And But, like, honoring that, like, the middle school minds is still worried about that. We're just saying, and that's why I kind of start with like how, what connections you have, because no one can ever say, oh, you did not connect to that poem in that way. And so it gives you an entry point to say something that's like a low risk because it just applies to you and you won't have that. Did I get it right? Did I sound smart? Totally. Yeah, because it is what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like a lot of our listeners might be thinking, okay, but how am I going to get to the point where we can have an authentic conversation? And I think it's really important. Like you were just saying, it's the authentic conversation is in itself the entry point. Like it is it and it happens all year long. I love that. I think I would also tell like, you know, there's a number of strategies that you could, you know, use. Like I'm thinking like a fishbowl or like other small ways to have kids engage. But I think the the biggest part is like having a a clear place where you're going to allow students to enter into the discussion and being incredibly, you know, prepared with what are all the, the lines of questions that I could ask in order to give students an opportunity to to share. And, you know, it's a little bit more challenging in the Zoom world because I don't know where we're going, but I've heard that we're going to be back on Zoom soon. But I, I, in my classroom, you can always do a quick, like, turn and talk, share what your partner said, like all of the ways that you can kind of get it out of kids. You lean into all of those, like, teacher strategies that we have in our back pocket. So, okay, so talk to me. I know, Tisha, you shared a little bit on Instagram about uh, like an assignment, a product that came out of your poetry conversations. What does, you talk about, you can talk about that project and even other other products that come out of poetry discussions. Um, what do those look like? You know, how do you know that they're effective? Do the kids like them? Yeah, and so like, it's so hard because I was like, oh, what was I talking about on Instagram? Because I talked so much stuff, but like, <laughs> um, <laughs> It was it was pretty interesting because and and also very tragic because the the murder of of George Floyd happened when we were in a our poetry unit and so and I know like for teachers you're like or many teachers might have been thinking like how do I hold space for like should I say something do I not say something do I keep pressing through do I not like like what are what am I supposed to do like do I even as a teacher know that something happened but. For me, it was pretty phenomenal when we were just like, when I looked at my lesson for the day and I was like, oh, we're Gucci. We are so good to go here because like this, this work is ongoing. So it was amazing where we got to, we start, we kicked off the unit and we watched a, a, a piece from Poetic Justice and it's, has anybody seen Poetic Justice now? Yes, 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 yes. 
Yeah, so when I, I'm sharing this, and, and it's pretty, and my son's like, where is she going? Because I show a picture of Tupac, and I was like, this is actually yep. my first husband and my first poetry love. Uh, I know. Yes. So I know. Many, know. Oh, so we kids. are so the same age. <laughs> oh, pitter-patter. I know. <laughs> right? And so then they're like, this is your first poet love? And I was like, yeah. And so then, you know, we watched a clip from Poetic Justice where she is doing, um, or Janet Jackson is reciting Dr. Andrew's um, alone poem. Mm-hmm. And so the poem is like amazing. And it's like one of my, and I have posted about this poem before this. And so the poem is such a beautiful poem because it matches where we are right now in this moment where we are separate, we're not together, and what it means that nobody, but nobody can make it out here alone. And so we watch this, but in the backdrop of the clip, Janet Jackson is driving through LA and you see like, you know, um, black men being stopped by the police and you see her, you see her like thought process come out. And so it already has this natural ability of like, we can talk about being alone. We can talk about all of the the tension that she's facing and experiencing in her um, community. And it was pretty, it was pretty amazing to be able to like already have this lesson already made in the backdrop of like our society that is experiencing and like recognizing a need to really reconcile with racism in America. Yeah. That's, that's so amazing. Marie and I were kind of talking earlier, um, Tanisha, when we were kind of prepping for the interview and we, we've been talking a lot about this before too, is that one of our fears, and I know you've talked about it as well, is kind of treating this, uh, our movement of Black Lives Matter and, and the movement toward anti-bias, anti-racist curriculum as an isolated decision in like removing a novel and replacing it with something else and calling it a day and, and, and teachers thinking that they've done the work and that's it. And, and you're, you're talking about the ongoing work. And I think that when I hear that and I think about poetry, I think about how important it is to remember that small pieces are, are things that we can anchor on all year long and that have these like beautiful, like artistic ways of representing moments in time that either we're experiencing or we have experienced. And I think that's, I mean, that is poetic justice, <laughs> what you guys experience. That's so cool. And I think that that's something that, you know, teachers can feel like, I know a lot of teachers are, are not sure where to go or not sure what to do next. And I think maybe, maybe it's not tackling dismantling to kill a mockingbird. Maybe it's like, let's start with looking at smaller moves and smaller ways of rethinking about what we're doing and how kids are thinking about what's going on, not just about us. And yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, we say it all the time. Who's this for? It's for our kids. Right. Like we are experiencing the world from our adult lens, from whatever experiences brought us to where we are, especially as educators. Right. Like we're on a teaching podcast here. So for the most part, we're speaking through an educational standpoint. But this is for our kids. And so I like going back to what you're saying before, Tanisha, about your students being like, is Langston Hughes still alive? Like, did he write this yesterday? No, (laughs) like it's not a coincidence it's not a coincidence that the words of Langston Hughes ring true in the year 2020. It exactly. means that the work is nowhere near being done and it's a continuum. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that poetry for me, it's, it's so freeing that when I went into this lesson, I was not worried about like, am I going to say the right or wrong thing? Because we already have co-created community because I've planned a really thoughtful lesson that provides students an opportunity to talk about a really rich piece of 
of literature because like I've been really thoughtful about how to bring in a clip that also grounds students in this this poetry this lesson it all comes together and so in that moment we didn't necessarily need because I will always hold space for what kids need but like we didn't need to go beyond the text that we were in because it was this freeness and being able to explain how they're feeling through poems. So when I talk about we're reading alone and how does this make you feel, like what is your connection, that connection could be anything to a current event or it could just be anything to the actual deeper meaning or theme in that poem. And you let kids get there how they get there. Yeah. Teaching is messy, you know, and I I keep reminding myself that. And I guess that's the other reason why I love poetry, because you can kind of like sit in the mess, you know, it's, you can embrace the learning. It's just like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. And we can kind of co-create also meaning from, from the text together, because it's, you know, an artist put it forth you know, with their own thinking about whatever they were experiencing and, you know, we're layering on who we are to it. So it, it gets a little messy and, you know, I'm all about the mess. I think kids are too. I think kids feel safe in a little bit of a mess. I don't know any kids who are organization addicts. (laughs) You know, I mean, yes. I mean, some of my teenagers are, but for the most part, kids, they live in a messy world to begin with. And so making it okay to be in that mess together. I think that's a beautiful sentiment and that's really, really cool. I think Um, as an educator, oh, I'm sorry, Amanda. No, no, go. Well, I think as an educator also, it's like, it's the responsible thing to teach our students, no matter what age, that just because you become an adult, like quote unquote adult, doesn't mean that the mess is all unraveled and everything's fine. No one knows what to do. (laughs) Yeah. No one knows what's going on. And it's a matter of becoming comfortable in being okay with that and figuring it out along the way. And the earlier we can help our kids get there, the better. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I could not agree with that more. And I, and I, I always tell my kids, I'm like, you guys are the, like, like the next generation. Like I need you all to actually be smarter than the adults in the room. Mm-hmm. And because you are, and that's a, that's the biggest part of it, which is the humility that comes with myself being a part of the classroom community. And I don't want anybody, cause any, anybody to think, oh my gosh, you must teach in like a utopia. I have my struggles. It is very, very, like, I know what it's like to sit on a Zoom room and for the kids to be like, okay, we're going to turn off our cameras and just nobody's going to respond. But I think that there's something really powerful about when you put something in front of kids that makes them want to be like, well, I'm not, I want to share. I want to watch. I want to engage that, you know, is, is, it adds that, you know, it counters the middle school or drama. Cause like when I said, everybody <laughs> likes mess, nobody likes mess more than middle school kids. I guarantee you that maybe some housewives, but like, I promise <laughs> you, my kids are like, where's the mess for the day? You know, <laughs> I'm 12 and I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I love that. Um, Tanisha, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you wrote a blog post. I believe it was like February, March about social justice and poetry. And we've kind of like dabbled in that just in our conversation. Um, but I, I'd love to hear more from you about how you see the intersection of poetry and social justice and kind of beyond even what we've just talked about, but you were writing about this long before it may have seemed cool to do so. Um, And so, you know, where, where were you in that space thinking about um, how those things together, why are they so compatible? 
Yeah, you know, when I think about, and like, I'm going to start with my former husband, may he rest in peace, Tupac. When you, when if you were to analyze his lyrics to some of his work, and you think about where he was in the 90s when he's writing these things, and you think about, then you go a little bit further back, and you can think about somebody a little more current, like Nikki Giovanni, mm-hmm. or the late Dr. Andrew Lou, and then you go back and you can think about Langston Hughes, and you can go back and you can think about um, James Baldwin, you know, like, where were like these people situated, right? So like, if I am thinking about a timeline of just expression of ideas, what's happening in the backdrop of these time periods? And, you know, and so you can go anywhere from like, you can look at the Harlem Renaissance and and what that time period was. You can go into the civil rights movement. You can go into like in the nineties where, you know, Tupac was raised by a mother who was in the black Panther party and he lives and he saw, you know, the Rodney King beating, like he was very aware of what was happening. And so when we think about like social justice and um, poetry, a lot of it has that synergy between current events and using your art and your gifts to like share a a deeper message. And I guess that's kind of like why I like that I too poem, because I can always ask like, how does it connect to today? And I can also like pepper in a little bit of like historical context. So we say, let's look at when Langston Hughes lived, like what's happening in this time period. And it's like the Harlem Renaissance, which was like this black free movement North, but like how are black people actually perceived and what are their lives like? It, it just makes for great, you know, conversations and understanding about the ongoing fight for equity and justice with people. And I think, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm overly committed to the the black American experience and that's like, you know, identity education. I, I like to call it because everybody says identity politics and that's my identity mm-hmm. education. But this is not only true in the black community. Like, you know, I can look in the Latinx community and see the same narrative about like acceptance and being who you are. And you see the, you know, the intersectionality between like Elizabeth Acevedo, who is rising as like one of my kids, like favorite artists and how she writes about what it means to be Afro-Latina and in the backdrop of like where we are right now, because it's a modern day story where she's still trying to come to terms with who she is in a society that feels very like black, white, other, you know? And so I don't know if I even answered the question, but I was on a roll, so I went with it. Now we've been bobbleheading the whole time. Uh, yeah, because I'm thinking about so much. I'm thinking about too, Tanisha, like, like you're the, the word intersectionality, I think is something that we need to bring up again in another podcast for sure, because it's so rich, right? This idea of so many artists were born of revolution or were born of breaking the status quo of challenging what was accepted. I mean, even like even Eurocentric artists, for the most part, they gained their fame after they died and after what was popular had faded away and something new, their stuff all of a sudden became this revolutionary change. And I think that that's such a powerful connection to make because even if it's not social justice, it's probably some form of rebellion or cry for cry for change. Exactly. And, you know, and that's, that's exactly what it is, right? And so, I don't know. 
I guess when I when I think about poetry, I, I think it like that is where it goes hand in hand. And it doesn't mean that like there isn't space for other types of poems in, in my classroom because we do a lot of like different types of poems. But I, I feel like there is something very relevant to talking about, you know, things that matter deeply to kids and leveraging in our cultural histories in the classroom and thinking about where when I when I think about poetry, it's like, where do you draw inspiration from? And, and when I ask kids that question, it's like, I don't know. Well, it's like they immediately go to things that I like, right. Or things that are happening to me. And I'm like, yeah. And that's exactly how we have people who are, who are using poetry to talk about injustice in the world. Well, that brings back that idea from like at the beginning when we started talking about authenticity, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's authentic because it's happening. Like whenever the, like, historical contexts that we're talking about of whatever artists we're talking about that's actual and now and that's what's being created is the art or the poem um and actually I, I, my next question was about i think we answered it yeah it's about like in the teaching world and working towards working. curriculum that is anti-biased and anti-racist and and feeding more ideology into our classroom happenings the question is what role does poetry play? But I think it's the same thing that you've been talking about. Like Mm -hmm. it's that authenticity and it's the opening up and the like responding and connecting and the seeing experience and intersectionality. (sighs) I love it. You know, it's like, you know, I I also once had a principal who was like, and I cringe. He was like, you know, I don't know if we should do poetry because there's not a lot of it on the state test. Oh my God. And I am just like, you know, like we've all been there and you're just kind of like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, but like I've, I'm always like that reasoning is so faulty because it's like, it if really we is. think about if we are only going to put things for kids that are on tests or that they're going to experience in the world, I can make an argument for like how I need to like reconstruct our entire curriculum. Right. But like when I think about the impact of poetry in a reading class where something that was once scary for kids and they come up with all these interpretations and they can use the text to like share all of their thinking, how that transfers over into other texts that we, you know, that we discuss in the class. And I think sometimes we undervalue like the, the other, like the, like the little things that poetry brings to our kids, like the confidence, you know what I mean? The ability to interpret text, the ability to like, authentically really talk about in an organic way author's craft that doesn't feel like forced or pressured and then they take that and they transfer it over to the other things that you're doing and it shows up in their writing and I'm like man poetry to me is like a bedrock it like opens up so much it's like the hardest thing for a lot of kids right and then looking at an article you're like by the way you're gonna use the same skills they're like I got it I'm good like I could do that yeah. with a poem. I can do that with an article from Newzella. No big. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think I think poetry and, and maybe I know you kind of already talked about this, Tanisha, but I think that it does create a lot of vulnerability on the teacher's end. And I think that that's some something that we really have been, this is our third episode on poetry. <laughs> True. And, um, you know, I think what we're trying to do here in Brave New Teaching is encourage teachers to not only take risks, but challenge the status quo in a way that is is challenging you too and i think if if poetry is something that makes you feel vulnerable it's probably because it is short 
it is tiny and naked. And, and we kind of, I think, have a tendency to get wrapped up in cozy and our big fat books that we assign because we love that. Um, but I think poetry for kids is, is just as vulnerable. And to be vulnerable together in that experience is... Mm-hmm is life-changing in terms of your education. And I think it's something that, you know, we really should work toward as a community in for so many reasons that you've brought up today. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like it is, I think one of my greatest powers in like, I guess, I don't know if it's a power or just like a characteristic of a teacher is my ability to be like, man, I really don't know. And I don't see myself as like the gatekeeper of knowledge. And so maybe I would add this to like my philosophy of education. Like I truly respect what my students bring and how they push and pull on me as a learner in that space with them. Because there have been plenty of times where kids have given responses and I was like, wow, I had never even considered that. Like I'm learning here too, like modeling how you take in and modeling like, like the, the realness that comes in like r- discourse in your classroom, like the point of like having discourse isn't just for everybody to be talking. It's like maybe to push and pull on one another's ideas. And so if as a teacher, I'm sitting in this space and I'm a participant and I can say, wow, I've shifted my viewpoint. I, yeah, I get that. I see that differently now. It makes it okay for kids to also do that same thing and to see their learning as malleable and to see their to see like their experience is not like okay I have to listen to her because she has all of the the answers I think that that lives out my belief that you all have to be better than me because I don't have all of the the thinking and all of the words and all that other good stuff I wish I did but I don't (laughs) none of us do (laughs) such a good like life skill that you're giving to your students is the like you don't know, no one knows everything and that's how it's supposed to be. Like we're Mm -hmm. supposed to be able to listen and hear each other. Yep. Mm -hmm. Otherwise we would all live on islands or like in little shacks in the woods completely alone. (laughs) That kind of sounds nice sometimes. Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Tell our friends here at Brave New Teaching where they can find you. They can connect with you. They can buy your amazing resources. They can read your blog. Where can everyone find you and follow you now that they love you like we do? Oh, and I love you all, and I love everybody too. You can find me on Instagram at love.tanisha. That's who I am. And you can also visit my blog at www.lovetanisha. That's T A N E S H A.com. Girl. And I'm going to link a couple of, we did a, Tanisha and I did a really cool uh, video with some other bloggers uh, way back in uh, March, April. We did a Where I'm From poem collaboration. So you should totally check that out too. Turned out so beautifully. um, And I think you guys would love that as well. So we will link all of that in the show notes. Please, please, please follow Tanisha and all her amazing work. We're so inspired by you, friend. I mean, just keep fighting the fight. Let everyone follow you who has no idea what they're doing and who thinks they know what they're doing. We're looking to you for so many things and we just respect so hard all of your honesty and genuine um all the genuine advice you gave today today and all your stories thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me